Hi everyone, my name is Aaron Katzenberger, and I'm the podcast editor for Blue Ridge Bible Church. We would like to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Due to last-minute inclement weather situations, our Christmas Day service originally scheduled for 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, December 25th, was moved to an online broadcasting format via Zoom. We did our best to ensure that you as our listeners would have the same experience as if you were in our live setting. I will now turn it over to our pastor, Peter D. Jones III, for his Christmas Day message. Thank you for listening. In Luke chapter 2, Luke is giving us a record of one of the most magnificent events that have taken place in redemptive history, and that is the entering in of the human race of God in flesh. And so he gives us the account of that and then gives us sort of the announcement of the circumstances surrounding it. Luke is a historian. He gives us a lot of history and background. And so he starts out by saying it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. That's Gaius Caesar Octavius Augustus, who was proclaimed emperor in Rome. I think it was the 29th year before the Lord died before and he died in A.D. 14. And so his, this guy, Caesar Augustus, uh, says that the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census or a registration be taken of all the inhabited earth. Uh, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. We are separated about 2,000 years from that, so it's a little bit hard for us to pinpoint exactly, but the the people in that day knew knew that account well. Luke is very accurate in his historical data and facts and stuff. And uh, interesting also, we tend, at least I do sometimes, tend to think that the those early days uh, in the church, people were somewhat archaic and backwards and that they were not as sophisticated in keeping uh, records and bookkeepings and balance sheets and uh, – memberships and things like that, but that's not true. They kept very meticulous records, and here is an example of that, that the Roman government wanted to do a census, and that census was for the purpose, actually, originally, it was for the purpose of military service, and the Jews were exempt from that, but later on, it was just to populate the people, to get to know how many people they had, and they wanted them to register um, according in relation to their ancestral home where they grew up. In my case, if I were to have to do that, I would be going back up to Roanoke Rapids where the old homestead is, where I can remember as a kid, we used to run around in the big farmyard there, and I can remember seeing them uh, slop the hogs, and I can remember that there was one big field where we had a big bull there, and nobody went near that because he was, he was, uh, he had, he didn't like people for some reason. I don't know why, but anyway. I can remember that. I can remember the tall windmill that that uh, enabled the water and the, pumped the water out of the well and kept it in a uh, an elevated water tower so that we'd have running water inside the house. And I can remember all those things. That's that's in my family. That would be the ancestral home for me. But for D- David and them, it was in Bethlehem area. And so the text tells us um, that this. Registration was made and that the registration was requiring that they go back to their ancestral home. Um, 
In verse 3, it says, uh, they all proceeded to register uh, for the census, everyone to his own city, to the own the area where he grew up. And uh, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house, the house and family of David. That's that's going from Nazareth to Bethlehem is a grueling trip, about 70 miles, and it's uphill. And uh, remember that Mary was pregnant, um, and she would be having labor pains near the end of this trip, and so it would... It's a it's a very unpleasant and difficult trip, a very unpleasant and difficult time. And uh, I can understand the frustration of Joseph, who is, uh, we're going to be reading about that, who recently took Mary to be his wife, although he didn't cohabit with her until after the birth of the child. But he's, he's taking that responsibility of looking after his family seriously, and yet he's got to make this trip on the spur of the moment. And we're going to find out a little bit that when they get there, there's no place for them to stay. There's no room. And so there's just seemingly difficulties that mount one or the other as they are, as they are being led in, the, in this venture for the Lord. And so he goes from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it says in um, verse 5, it says he goes to in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. That uh, engagement would be a betrothal, and it's like an engagement. It was a binding engagement, and it could not be broken except by a legal divorce. It was, but it was not, they were not allowed to, they were not supposed to sleep together until the marriage ceremony itself, but this was a legal engagement. What's interesting to me that, uh, there were couples that were uh, pledged to each other, even as children. The parents would, would have a daughter and a son, and they would say that we want those those two to marry and to raise a family in this environment or whatever. Which also points out the fact that I think any two people, male and female, can have a happy marriage if they're willing to work at it. Doesn't have to be that they are somehow mystically in love before that if they are willing to work at it, especially if they know the Lord, they can have a happy and fulfilled marriage and a good family. And uh, But anyway, the text tells us that they, Joseph went up to Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. And he went in order to register with Mary, who was with child. It says in verse 6, it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Now, when it says that, uh, it may give indication that uh, she there were several days after they got there before she received labor pains, and that's that's a possibility that would make it a lot easier for them. But um, it says that she gave birth then to her firstborn son. Firstborn son means, among other things, that Mary had other children after the birth of Jesus. That Jesus had brothers and sisters. And um, so I think it's important that we kind of see the family growing and see uh, the, the events that are taking place. Uh, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in King James' swaddling clothes as strips of cloth 
and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Again, um, trying circumstances, difficult to perceive or what it's like to have to go this far and uh, then to get there and not have a place to stay and not be a room room for them. Says that she laid him in a manger. Different people have different, you see Christmas cards and some will, will picture Jesus being in a stable. Others, I think one tradition says he was in a cave. We don't know for sure where he was born in the sense of whether he was in a cave or in a stall. What we do know is that the body, the baby was laid in a feeding trough. And that's why people think it was in a, it was in a uh, stable because the feeding trough is where you would feed animals or in a cave. There would be uh, a lot of times animals were kept in a cave like that, where they'd be out of the elements a little bit and sort of uh, kept safe. People would keep the people valued their crops, their animals rather. That was a, that was an important part of their livelihood and their wealth. And so anyway, we don't know for sure, but we do know the body was laid of that baby in a feeding trough. And that becomes a sign. Uh, that's an unusual place to put the baby. And uh, that becomes kind of a sign for them. Uh, it says in the same region, there were some shepherds. This is verse 8, staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened and um anytime angels appear on the scene one of the things that they almost always say is be not afraid or fear not because it's a fearful thing to be confronted by an angel and uh here with these shepherds the text is clear that they were keeping watch over their flock by night and being night there's not a lot of lights. There might be a fire, more embers to a fire, and there'd be the stars in the sky, but that would be it out there in the fields. And so it's, it's a terrible, frightening thing to be confronted there at that moment, point by this, this angel, this creature. It says in verse 9, the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. A.T. Robinson, in the, one of his commentaries, I remember making the comment that the idea there is that the angel of the Lord stepped by their side. It's almost like they're out there in the dark. They're talking. I don't know what they're talking about. Family, whatever, the fire. You can hear the crackling of the embers of the fire. Maybe there's a dog barking in the distance. The uh, sheep would not be doing much grazing at night. They would be kind of bed down and sort of sleep. There might be a, the... Uh, a little bit of noise, but it's kind of quiet when all of a sudden they're stepping into their midst is this glorious angel. It says the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were terribly frightened. Uh, that would be many times over a very understatement, I think, because they would be scared to death with this creature, the, this, this angel is suddenly in their, in their midst. And the first thing he says is do not be afraid for behold, I bring you Good news of great joy, which will be to all the people. So here these shepherds are out in the field, taking care of these sheep, and uh, they're watching over these sheep. By the way, I didn't mention that, but it's interesting. Some commentators have pointed out that there were 
uh, in the fields around Bethlehem, a number of places where the temple had uh, sheep that were being kept and nurtured to be used for temples for sacrificial lambs. And people would come for the feast and they would need a lamb. If they would bring their own lamb, times uh, do the trip and other things, they would, it would not be a completely, um, whole lamb. There would be some deform, deformity or something that would disqualify and they would have to buy a lamb. And so a lot of times, most of the time people would come and they would just buy a lamb that was already approved by the temple. It's possible, and I don't know that the scripture says that it is or not, but it's possible that these shepherds were taking care of lambs that were going to be used in future sacrifices in the temple. And if that's the case, it's very interesting that they were given an announcement of the birth of the Lamb of God, who was born in Bethlehem, who was going to take away the sin of the world. Anyway, they are there, and this angel comes, and he makes that announcement, and the glory of the Lord is shining around them. And it says the angel says to them, stop being afraid. That's literally what he's saying. Stop being afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people for today. This day is a day in history when today, finally, God's alarm clock has gone off. Today, in the city of David, there has been born for you, I like that, for you, a Savior or a Deliverer, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. The wrapped in swaddling clothes is not it's not so much the sign as the fact that he's in a manger. That's the thing that makes him unusual. And uh, I remember when little Everett was the little bitty baby in the cradle there and his little cute little head and you love him to death and you, you don't want to do anything to soil him or get him dirty. And you wouldn't think about putting him in a, a, a feeding trough, but that's where the Messiah was laid, was in the feeding trough. And so here is the, the angel says, there has been born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior is deliverer. He's the one who has delivered us from our sins. Um, Christ uh, is the Greek equivalent to the Old Testament Messiah. It means anointed. And uh, the word Lord um, means master. It's also a word that's used to translate the covenant name of God, Jehovah. And most of the New Testament uses of the word relate to that. Probably um, the best way to translate that sentence is there has been born to you a deliverer who is the anointed Jehovah, because that's the covenant name of God, and that he is anointed of God on a mission to deliver his people from their sins. And uh, so that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful thought. Um, I think of Isaiah 9, 6, which I believe was <clears throat> one of the verses that was instrumental in bringing the Magi about a year later to uh, Jerusalem. Is that when they were searching to try to find something to identify what God was doing when they saw that glowing in the sky. And among the things they remembered was Daniel and how God had worked mightily through Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with those mighty miracles, miracles pointing um, the fact that God, that this God is moving. And uh, I think they were led to many passages which are in the, the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament. And one of them was Isaiah 9, 6, which reads, 
for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name, his name is like a banner over which uh, he would fly. It was like the uh, the uh, inscription over the portal of his palace. His name would be called, and listen to these terms that are used to describe him, Wonderful Counselor. His counsel is, is beyond, his words are beyond compare. His wonderful counsel, this is marking, this is going to mark his kingship. He's a wonderful counselor. He's, he's a mighty God. He's all powerful. He's able to, to do all kinds of wonderful exploits. He's, he's a mighty God. He's the eternal father. He is the eternal, the prince of peace. His time goes back to eternity. Father means to be a, a, an overseer of his people, to be able to, to care for them and to love them and to work with them. And the prince of peace, um, peace always describes the Lord's work because to be in right relationship with him is to be in right relationship with each other. So he's the prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of the government, of his government, or of peace. On the throne of David, here is the prophecy fulfilled, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That's just one verse that talks about this coming Messiah who was born this night. Back to our text in Luke. It says, after the angels came, suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, probably millions of angels in the sky with God's glory shone around about them. And I think that that is the, the light, the Shekinah glory that the shepherd, that the Magi saw about 900 miles away, uh, something of that glory in the sky. And they, they, uh, realized that this was something that was from God. And I think that that's what they, they give reference to that, that the big funnel of light that was coming down from heaven and that they knew it wasn't just stars. It was something else. Anyway, this heavenly host was singing and praising God. And the announcement was glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Just note there, it's not just general peace, but it's peace among those who are in right relationship with him. Which I said a minute ago is that if you're at peace with God, then you'll be at peace with each other. And that's, a, and that's, that's a good point. That's, that's important. That's true of families too. Right? In the family, if the members are at peace with God, they'll be at peace with each other. He goes on to say in verse 15, the angels, when the angels had gone away into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and to see this thing which has happened to us. That's in perfect tense, which suggests that they were kept saying it. Let's, let's come on. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing. Let's go see this baby that's in this trough. This one who is the savior deliver. Let's go see him. Um, I was reading. One of the commentators, Clark, made this comment. I thought it was interesting. I'd like to share it with you. Um, he said, um, regarding this statement, now let us go to Bethlehem. He writes, let us go across the country at the nearest that we may lose no time 
that we may speedily see this glorious reconciler of God and man. All delays are dangerous, but he who delays to seek Jesus, when the angels, the messengers of God, bring him glad tidings of salvation, risk his present safety and his eternal happiness. Oh, what would the damned in hell give for those moments in which the living here of salvation had they the same possibility of receiving it now? Reader, be wise. Acquaint yourself now with the God of the Bible. Be at peace with him. Thereby, enjoy the goodwill that comes by our relationship with him. I think that's that's a good statement that uh, when when God makes himself known to us, we don't want to dilly-dally. We don't want to play around. We need to take it seriously. They did, and we need to do that too. The Luke's uh, gospel goes on in verse 16 to say, And they came with haste, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. They came with haste in the night, leaving their flocks. And uh, again, there is just kind of a reminder that when the Lord speaks to us, we we don't want to just dilly-dally and say, you know, I'll come later. There were those that Jesus invited to come with him. And some said, well, first, let me do this, do that. Remember Zacchaeus? They're in Jericho. And little Zacchaeus, who climbed up in the sycamore tree to see Jesus when he was passing by. He was a short stature. And when Jesus came under him and looked up, he called him by name. And he said, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. Today, I'm going to eat with you. Don't don't dilly-dally. Come on down. And then later he told him, salvation has come to your house. When God speaks, uh, let's, let's give him the credit of doing what he says and responding to it right away. So back to the text in Luke. Um, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child and uh, all who heard it wondered at the things which had told them by the shepherds. Um, they marveled, if you will, wondered at these things. These are marvelous things. And uh, these are these are fantastic things. Because they're fantastic things, some people may think, well, they're too good to be true. But the shepherds said, no, we're going to go see. We're going to investigate it. And they did. Another writer that I'm going to comment on uh says this name is his name is Gill and he's commenting on the phrase they wondered at those things that were told them by the shepherds and he says for though they expected the Messiah and that he would be born in Bethlehem they did not imagine that he would be born of such low um normal insignificant parents uh, that that he would appear in such um lowly circumstances they didn't expect um that he would, he would be born in such a contemptible place as a stable. They didn't expect that there would be low, the lowly like shepherds, not the princes of Israel or the priests in the temple, but shepherds that would receive the first notice of the birth. Uh, and yet this account, which these shepherds were privileged to hear, um, is true. And they were the ones. They didn't invent the story. It is a, it was God's way of doing it. He's chosen what seems to be uh, unreasonable things or unusual things or difficult things that confound the wise. 
And sometimes um, he does things in a way that we don't expect it to, him to do it. And we need to take him seriously, uh, just as those shepherds did. The point is to be ready, to be ready when the Lord comes, to be ready um, because he, he many times he says, I'm going to come at an hour that you think not. I'm going to come at a time when you're not, when not expecting me. And I'm, sometimes I'm going to use circumstances that may seem to be um, abnormal or unpleasant or unattractive. We we see that in the world stage today. A lot of things are unattractive that are happening around us, and can, and actually for me create a lot of concern, a lot of concern. And yet God is working. He's on the throne. He hasn't missed the hour or the day, and uh, He is on schedule and. Uh, He's always on schedule, and he is always in charge. Goes on, the text goes on to say, Mary was treasured these things up and pondered them in her heart. Uh, one writer talked about a mother forgets none of those things which occur respecting her children. Everything they do or suffer, everything that is said of them is treasured up in her mind, and she often thinks of those things and anxiously seeks uh, what they may indicate respecting the future character and welfare of a child. And so Mary, being a mother, was concerned by these things and treasured these things and kept them in her heart. And finally, says the very last verse we'll read is the shepherds of verse 20, um, went back glorifying and praising God for what they had heard and seen just as it had been told them. That uh, interesting phrase, glorifying and praising God, the idea of praising actually carries with it uh, kind of an atmosphere of singing. And I'm not exactly sure. I guess they would probably be singing from the Psalter, uh, which would be the Psalms, a fitting vehicle for the swelling emotions of their hearts. But Luke, it, it's interesting to me that Luke talks a lot about people praising God. He talks about it uh, in Luke um, chapter, well, in Luke Chapter 2, verse 13, Luke 19, 37, Luke 24, 53, where this idea of praising God is is mentioned. Luke actually (coughs) talks about praising people and praising God probably more than any other gospel. I don't know if you're interested in looking those up, but verse 28 contains that. Chapter 1, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 64, uh, Luke covers the, somebody that's praising God. I don't remember all the details on that, but you can look it up. Chapter 5, verse 25 and 6. Chapter 7, verse 16. Chapter 13, verse 13. Chapter 17, verses 15 through 18. Chapter 18, verse 43. Chapter 19, verse 37 through 40. Chapter 23, verse 47. And one more, chapter 24, verses 52 and 53. The shepherds had a lot to sing praises to God for, as do we, because God has bothered to come into this world and give us his son, who is the Savior and Deliverer. And not only that, but he has given us the details in the scripture so that we can know these things and know the time and go back and study those things and see what he's doing and and see the the greatness and the majesty of his coming and his love for us. So we are, this Christmas season, we are really blessed to know him and to have his his work done on our behalf. We're very fortunate indeed. So let me close this with prayer. Dear Father, I do thank you for this time. This season is a very good time of the year. 
Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending your son into the world to save us on behalf of us for revealing these things to us. And we just, we praise and exalt and magnify your name and pray for this day that it would be a special time uh, of worship and remembrance of who you are. And we pray in Jesus name with thanksgiving. Amen.